0: Good morning, everyone. It is so uh, such an honor to have you with us. My name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are just honored. And man, what a powerful story! We so often underestimate the power of prayer, and this is what we're talking about throughout this month. I want to mention a couple quick things. Um, first of all, for those uh, that are going to our Catalyst launch party today, which is over here in the East Room, um, we're going to be meeting uh, right after the service. And uh, I should have gotten an email about that, but the East Room is right there, so if you don't know where that is. Secondly, uh, Amber mentioned earlier, uh, as we're walking through this month, we're taking time to pray. And uh, if you want to receive, there's a text message that we're sending out every morning at 7 Uh, a.m. We've been challenging each other to pray for 21 days, at least five minutes a day, and we're one week in. But if you would like to join that text list, apologies, we don't have this on the screen, but if you text the word pray, so P-R-A why, Just the word pray to this number. You might want to write this down because it's a long one. Um, but the word pray to 724 585 8826. So pray to 724 585 8826. If you text that, uh, you'll get on the list and uh, starting tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. through the next two weeks. You can get that, Uh, it's just a prayer focus each day that you receive that we're we're sending out and it just helps you uh, be a good reminder, hey, today I'm going to take time to pray and this is kind of the focus. So if you're like, I don't even know what to pray, there you go. It'll just be a short little uh, focus text message. So uh, before we jump in, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, I'm proud of you. Go ahead, I'm proud of you. And here I'm going to tell you what you're proud of. I'm proud of you because you made it through the cold and the snow. And then, one other thing, it could be worse, we could live in Buffalo. (laughs) And I mean that on so many fronts. If you're from Buffalo, I love Buffalo. Um, If if I had my way, I wish we had a foot of snow like they're getting right now, um, but I do not wish for their football team. I want the Steelers, and we wanna win a Super Bowl. That's what we're going for, right? On the back of Mason Rudolph. so thank you for being here uh, today, and uh, we, uh, we are uh, so excited about what God is doing. I believe God has something special today, uh, as we're doing throughout this month. We're going to take some time at the end to just pursue the heart of God some extended time of worship uh, for those that can, can stay. But today, you know, in this moment in society, uh, January of 2024, we find ourselves living in an undeniably more complex an unstable world than any generation in the last 50 plus years. This is a time where there are so many things happening all at once. It's almost too much that 24-hour news coverage can't even cover. Uh, Society uh, as a whole is facing multiple wars that seem to be escalating and not really coming to a conclusion. We hear of uh, disease spreading, spikes of COVID, and other things, and uh, this past year, the Surgeon General for the US sounded the alarm of the epidemic of loneliness and isolation in in America. Uh, We're trying to pay the bills, put food on the table, get gas in our car, and everything costs way more than we'd ever expected or thought would be. And, And let's not even bring up the fact that this year is another presidential election. It's a crazy time to be alive everywhere you turn and nearly every day, we find cause for concern. And I'm sorry if I just sent you into like a spiral of anxiety, but um, the reality is if we're not careful, like the fear and the concern and the anxiety of what's happening are all around us will overtake us. It will consume us. And every morning you'll wake up thinking about that. Every night you'll go to bed thinking about that. And, and this is what the majority of the world is dealing with. Why, why do you think the Surgeon General would sound an alarm about a, a, an epidemic of, of loneliness and isolation? Because we just want to be away from it all because it's, it's fearful, it's, it's scary, it's a scary world. But, but here's, the, here's the, the good news. None of this is a surprise to God. The craziness we find ourselves in, the uncertainty, the unprecedented circumstances, it's not a surprise. God saw it all coming. And believe it or not, he actually has a solution. His solution isn't to get the right person elected as president, I'm sorry if that's what you thought it was, but it's not to make sure the right countries are in control of the world's power or the right economic policies are instituted. God's solution isn't even to have the legislation passed that helps America be more of a Christian nation. God's solution is what it has always been throughout history. God's solution to the madness the instability and the complexity of our world has always been and will always be the church. And and while the church in America has never been at a worst point in, in our history, I'm telling you, this is the moment for the church to shine. Like, we were made for this moment. How in the world does the church, though, rise from the ashes and not simply survive, but actually bring about some transformation to this crazy world that we find ourselves in it's not by creating a more appealing church or an even more loving church although those aren't necessarily bad things but for the last 2,000 years the church has always found itself as this stabilizing factor in society when it consistently does one thing it's when the church recognizes the power of prayer You can go throughout history, I love history, start all the way back to the first century to today, there have been incredibly unstable, crazy, upside down moments in in world history. And the stabilizing factor through all of them consistently has always been a church. Not just any church, a church that is praying. Because a praying church taps into something that transcends circumstances, time, and society. And, and the simplicity of this sacred practice can seem so elementary. Like, how could it possibly make a difference in such a complex world? But it is still the one thing that will bring stability to your life personally and to our world corporately. Our community doesn't need a better service organization. Our community needs a church that's on its knees And today, as we we continue this series that we're walking through this month called When the the Church Prays, what I want to do is I want to just take a few moments to to go back, to reflect on the history of prayer in the church, and just give you a quick overview. Oftentimes, we want to get better and improve things, but we forget to look back. See, the story of the past is one of the greatest teachers for the present. Over the course of the last 2,000 years, there are these sacred practices that have consistently uh, led people to deep, meaningful encounters with God. And, and it's not that these practices move the hand of God, but rather position us to experience the presence of God. And, and if, you, if you like to read one of the great books on spiritual disciplines, which are, are essentially practices that position us to experience the power of God, one of the great books, classics, is called The Spiritual Disciplines by Richard Foster. In that book, he makes this statement. He said, the disciplines... Allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. It's not that we bend the arm of God and we convince him and and, and if we pray hard enough and fervently enough and if we seem sincere enough, God's like, oh, they seem to be like really genuine here. So I'm going to do what they're asking me. It has nothing to do with moving the hand of God. God is sovereign. It has everything to do with positioning us in a place to experience him. Because God is omnipresent, he's everywhere. But so often there are obstacles and things that keep us, rob us from being able to experience his presence. You see the spiritual disciplines are these sacred practices that were commonplace in the early church. But over this course of the last 20 centuries of the church's existence, they've often got at times been pushed to the wayside. Richard Foster later explains in the first century and earlier, it was not necessary to give instruction how to do the disciplines of the spiritual life. The Bible called people to such disciplines as fasting, prayer, worship, and celebration, but gave almost no instruction about how to do them. The reason for this is easy to see. Those disciplines were so frequently practiced in such a part of the general culture that the how-to was common knowledge. And, And today, what I wanna do of these just few moments we have together is revisit the simplicity and value of these sacred practices and specifically prayer. You see, when when we understand the history and practice of prayer over over the course of 2,000 years, we can better grasp the richness that is present when our souls can connect with God, when the deepest part of our being can connect with the one who created us, shaped us, and molded us. As the psalmist writes in, in Psalm chapter 42, verse seven, these are the moments where deep calls out to deep. And from the very inception of the church, Early Christians were devoted to this practice of prayer. This wasn't something that anyone had to tell them they needed to do. It was just there. It was the driving force behind everything they did. In fact, immediately following Jesus' ascension into heaven, the disciples would return to this upper room, upstairs room, in downtown Jerusalem. And Luke records the very first thing these disciples did is they gathered. <clears throat> Understand, like, Jesus, the Savior of the world, he's, he's been killed on a cross, he's rose again miraculously, this amazing resurrection, and now he's ascended to heaven. And now they're left with the mission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And they're like, what are we gonna do? There's a little over a hundred of them and they're, they're confused, they're scared, uh, they're worried the Romans are gonna arrest them and do the same to them that they did to Jesus and they don't know what's gonna happen and, and they gather in this upstairs room and what's the first thing they do? In Acts 1.14 it says, they devoted themselves to prayer. They didn't come up with some scheme or strategy. They didn't try to to dream up, like, how do we respond? How are we going to fight against the Romans? How can we overcome them? How can we overthrow them? No, they devoted themselves to prayer from the very beginning of the church. Prayer was a primary practice. Just see what the early believers did after Peter's famous sermon on the day of Pentecost, recorded in the very next chapter in Acts 2. In Acts 2.42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The church in that moment had just grown from just over 100 people to over 3,000 people like that. And and one of the first responses to all of that was prayer. The disciples' devotion to prayer was both ongoing and central to everything they did. Later, Later in Acts chapter six, the disciples were given the incredible responsibility of appointing seven deacons to serve the widows. It was important for the disciples to delegate this work since they uh, didn't want to be distracted from their original uh, calling. Once again, the disciples announced in Acts 6-4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. These are the apostles, the apostles that helped start the church that we know today. And and they said, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect our calling. And the first thing they mention is prayer and the ministry of the word. This is something that we all need. You see, it's through this devotion to prayer that God works to accomplish his purposes in us. And as you move from that first generation of the church to the second generation, we find the earliest manuscripts and instruction outside of scripture concerning prayer in in the Didache. This was part of a a group of writings from, uh, from the second generation Christian leaders known as the Apostolic Fathers. The Didache was written... Uh, early, er, toward the end of the first century. And in these writings, which if you haven't read or or even heard of the Didache, it's an amazing uh, handbook for Christian life, one of the earliest outside of Scripture. And in these writings, it states that the Lord's Prayer should be prayed three times a day It just doesn't give specific times. And and as time would go on, they would start to to identify specific times. And and it landed on the third, sixth, and ninth hour of the day. Every Christian, every believer was instructed to pray the third, sixth, and ninth hour of the day. Origin of Alexandria, one of the early church scholars, recommended later in the third century that another time of prayer uh, be instituted in the evenings. And it's likely in different communities, this was expressed different ways. In rural communities, they would follow the the order of the sun, In more uh, urban uh, areas or towns, they would follow more strictly the time. But regardless, there was a rhythm to this. By the time you reach the fourth century, the church was praying together more often than they were in praying individually. And along with the prayers being offered, we find uh, amazing practices of singing the psalms or hymns. And when, when we hear all of this, and we translate it to 2024, it can sound outrageous. Like, I don't have enough time in my day to do all of that. Like, these were simpler times. How in the world would I follow through on the practice of praying three times a day, four times a day, setting aside time to, to turn my face toward heaven? Like, what craziness is this? It, it seems so out of touch. With so many things going on, our schedules are overwhelmed with more. More and more that we have to get done. How can we add one more thing to it? But with the busyness of our schedules and complexities of our world, what we often do is we project those same complexities to this practice of prayer. But it's not meant to be some complex thing. As as you look back over these simpler times, and, and we discover the incredible simplicity of these sacred practices When you read through scripture, we find this simple yet bold approach to prayer that was present in early believers. And and we might discount it and say, well, they were in simpler times, but I I would venture to guess if you transported yourself back to the first century, to those believers, the times weren't nearly as simple as you might think. Understand, up until the uh, 300s AD, uh, it was illegal to be a Christian. That, that they would be arrested, killed, imprisoned, threatened, tortured for, for following Jesus, like doing this could have gotten everyone arrested, potentially worse uh, on, on top of that, uh, we assume they were living in a Roman world, which was a free world but it was not a free world. Rome did not institute freedom, they enslaved countries that they conquered, and, and that's what that's what first century Christians were, were, were living under. Jesus wasn't born into a free world. These disciples weren't born into a free world. It, it, we oftentimes think, well, they had simpler times. It wasn't that it was simpler. It was that they had an understanding of their priorities. And, and, and for us to add more practices more practices on top of more practices and top of more things that we have to do in our calendars. And we're like, I'm already operating at 120% of, 100% of my schedule. How could I add one more thing? It's not about adding one more thing. See, today what I want to do is I want to rewind back to the foundation, uh, the roots and the origin of this amazing discipline, this practice of prayer. And one of the earliest instructions on prayer given to, to, to believers in the first century is found in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 6. It was a model Jesus provided for his disciples and has been a staple in the Christian church in nearly every corner of the globe. We refer to it today as the Lord's Prayer. And as Jesus leads into what we know as the Lord's Prayer, not not an instruction of exactly one more thing we have to do, but we'll talk about this, but, but a posture that we take toward God. Before he gets to that, he gives some instruction on on how and where prayer should happen before he gets to what prayer should look like. Here's what he says. We're going to be reading in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, starting here in verse 5. Jesus said, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. In other words, prayer is not about showing off puffing ourselves up, or gaining attention. When, when prayer becomes a show or a grab for attention, it exploits this remarkable gift that we've been given to connect to God. That's what Jesus is saying. It's not about a show. It's not about proving something to anyone else. And he goes on in verse six, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Is Jesus saying that we should never pray in public? not at all. He's saying that what happens in public should be an expression of a private depth. Just as as an aside for those who are leaders here at Calvary, maybe you serve or you lead, this is such an important principle that I don't want to miss. It is incredibly dangerous to lead publicly with an authority or influence that hasn't been cultivated privately with God. As a pastor, if what I do on this platform was simply a performance or an execution of just some plan, then it would, become, it would be void of the power of God. This is what the Apostle Paul explains to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. He said, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That wasn't just Paul. That was the power of God flowing out of him. That was the result of a private depth. If our influence outpaces our private investment, we will find ourselves on the path for an implosion. Everything that we, we can see throughout church history, leaders and, and, and people who others look to for, for, for guidance, influencers in the church in the Christian community who don't get this implode. Yeah, for a little while, they may have everyone's attention. But if your private life isn't outpacing your public influence, you're on a destructive path. Listen to Jesus' words on the importance of taking private time to pray. This is what he's talking about. If you're a life group leader or a CK group leader, Pray over your group. Pray over your discussion, God, or your lesson, whatever your responsibility is. If you serve or lead and get services on the worship team or, or, or in the office, don't just give out of what you have. Give from what God has deposited in your life privately. Cultivate a practice of private communion with God. Jesus goes on in verse seven. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. You know, growing up in church, I have watched more people than I can count uh, get up in front of others and try to impress them with their prayers, try try to show off. I remember, you may have heard me tell this before, but I remember one time I was visiting uh, someone in the hospital with my dad. I was just a little kid. My dad brought me along to go to the hospital. And I remember walking down the hallway in the hospital, Trobe Hospital, where I grew up. I didn't grow up in the hospital, but I grew up in Latrobe. <clears throat> Just to clarify, so you're not like, "Man, he's weird." I am weird, but um, we were in Latrobe Hospital, which is in Latrobe, where I grew up. And we're walking down the hallway, and I remember walking down the hallway, and from a little bit of a distance to the room we were going to visit someone in, you could hear a husband and wife like kind of arguing, and they're like swearing at each other and yelling and everything. And uh, my dad turns the corner and walks in the room. And as soon as they see my dad, the pastor, they stopped. And I remember walking in, and the, the wife, who was in the hospital, she's in the, in the bed. She starts talking to my dad in, like, King James English. And I was like, what is wrong with this lady? Is this why she's in the hospital? Like, <laughs> she's, like, talking funny. And, and people think, like, you have to talk a specific way. Like, if you don't use enough these and those, can I tell you Something. Jesus didn't use these and vowels. Did you know that? He actually probably spoke in Arabic or, or, or Hebrew. Like he, he didn't use, that's, that's like something that we've added over the, the, that's just part of the language. We don't have to have specific words. This is what Jesus is trying to get at. On, on top of that, I've talked to so many that are afraid to pray. Because they're like, I don't even know if I know what to say. But it's not about what you say. This is what Jesus is trying to get at. It's not about the words. The words aren't the key issue. It's your heart. Just like you don't want to, you don't wait to talk to your close friends until you have exactly the right words. You know that best friend that you call every time that you're walking through a difficult time or something really good and you want to share it with them? You don't wait and feel like, hey buddy, um, can we talk in like 20 minutes? I'm going to write out our conversation just so I have the right words. I don't want to misspeak. Um, and then I'll read it to you. And th- no, no, you don't do that. Why? Because you're friends. Like, it's your heart. It's, it's not some writ thing that you recite. Because these people are special to you. You have a deep love and devotion for them. And, and as a result of this, whatever is said isn't necessarily an important thing. The most important thing is that you're with them, right? I'm sure some of you have experienced those times of deep hurt, pain, or difficulty when you're sitting with someone special to you. Someone important to you, and words aren't even spoken. All you are is just with them. This is prayer. It's it's not about how many words are spoken, how big the words are, even how perfect your prayer might seem. What's important is that you're talking to God. You're experiencing his presence, that you are with him, not just speaking to him. And as Jesus goes through that kind of do's and don'ts of prayer, he He then gets to the meat of what he's saying, the the now famous Lord's Prayer, where he explains what prayer is all about. In fact, he opens up in verse nine before he goes into what we now know as the Lord's Prayer. He says this in the beginning of verse nine. He says, this then is, can you say, what's that word there? How. This then, Scott went to La Trobe. He nailed it, I am impressed. I went to Derry, although I lived in La Trobe. Our education is superior to all others in Westmoreland County. (laughs) But we don't look down on people. Um, We spend more time out in the fields looking after our flocks and our livestock and all of that stuff. But um, sorry for that uh, uh, getting off track. But he says, this then is how you should pray, which means he wasn't saying this is what you should pray. He said this is how you should pray. And as we read this today, I want to do something a little different. I want to ask you to stand. Stand. Everyone, you can stand. If you're watching online, you're sitting in your living room, you can stand too. If you're driving, do not stand. <laughs> um, but I wanna read this, I wanna say this prayer together. And, and what we're gonna pray isn't the new international version uh, of the Bible that we might normally read from. This is actually taken from the Anglican Book of Prayer from, 19, from 1662. This is the most common form of the Lord's Prayer. If you've heard it at a funeral or anywhere else, this is probably the version you've heard. And, and I think in honor of of the sacredness of this prayer. These are the words of Jesus, that we pray this prayer collectively together. If you feel comfortable closing your eyes, well, if not, you can, well, you probably, if, if you don't know it, memorize You don't wanna close your eyes. It'll be on the screen. But let's, let's pray this prayer together collectively. Can we do that? Let's get it on the screen first so you know what we're saying. There we go. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 You can be seated. Think about the power of those words. Millions and millions of Christians have been praying that very prayer for the last 2,000 years in nearly every part of the world. These are the words of Jesus. And and this is the model Jesus himself gave us for prayer. And while it can be incredibly valuable and beneficial to pray through scripture, whether it be the Psalms or another part of scripture or, or this prayer specifically, I don't believe Jesus ever intended this special prayer to be what we pray as I mentioned earlier, there's so many things that, 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 that we get bombarded with that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do one more thing, like we're supposed to count our calories. <laughs> we're supposed to you know, drink a gallon of water a day or something. Or we're, we're supposed to limit our screen time and limit how many times we watch TV. But then somehow we're supposed to stay connected with what's happening in the world and those two can conflict. And we're, we have all these things that we're supposed to do. And, and prayer seems like it's one more thing, but Jesus is trying to say it's not one more thing. It's not about a practice. It's about a posture. It's about how you engage the world and how you engage God. And, 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 and what I want to do today is walk through just briefly, and then we're going to take some time to seek God together, is these four postures that Jesus explains here. Four postures that position us to experience the power of God. In a world that is so chaotic and upside down, these are four postures that ultimately center us around him. And if we need anything in our world, we don't need more stuff. We don't need more instruction. We have all all the content we need on YouTube and online, everywhere. Like, we don't need more. We need need a better posture. We need to recognize the importance of being centered around the most important things, not chasing this and that and getting worried about this and that. These four postures that Jesus talks about the first one in verses nine and 10. He says, our father in heaven, I'm gonna read this in the NIV, so not the one we just read so you uh, aren't confused. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the first posture he talks about here is a posture of surrender, a posture of surrender. A posture of surrender means that we come from our earthly perspective through worship and through worship, we surrender to God's divine perspective. This is, what's, this is why starting a time of, or season of prayer with worship is so healthy and valuable. What it does is it, 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 it kind of centers us around who God is. In, in early centuries of the church, this would have often happened through singing or reciting of psalms. And, and we are blessed today with the technology we have that we can stream music on our phones or, or, or whatever devices you have. Like We have the ability, wherever we are, to bring a spirit of worship through music. And does it just happen through music? No, not at all. But it, it helps us remove the distractions and, and all the noises and stuff. It helps us recognize this is God. Starting with a po- this posture narrows our focus from all the noise, the distractions, and the obstacles and onto the God that we're ultimately connecting with. We have a posture of surrender. The second posture is a posture of petition. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 11, a simple verse. Give us today our daily bread. And we all have needs, and while prayer shouldn't be all about asking God for stuff, He does want to hear about the needs you have. And when you, when you take this posture of petition, it's God, this is, what, this is what I'm battling, this is what I'm asking. Be specific, be clear. Hold nothing back. Talking to God about our needs isn't sharing something with God that He doesn't already know but it's cultivating our relationship with him. Just like it, it you know, it means a lot to my wife when I talk to her about something I'm struggling with or going through, even though she can probably already see it in me, being vulnerable and opening up is part of our connection to God and, and how God connects with us. Be willing to, to take this, not just a posture of surrender, but a posture of petition. God, this is what I need. None of us are the end all be all. The, the third uh, posture. Oh, oh, before I get to that, sorry, I wanted to read this verse real quick. First Peter 5, 7. I love this verse. In the New Living Translation, it says this, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. I'll read that again. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares for you. Sometimes we think God is so big, he's so much uh, uh, larger than what we're facing, and our little issues seem so insignificant. We can give our cares and our worries to him because he cares about it. He genuinely does. I know it might not seem like that big of a deal that, uh, you, know, uh, that you get a, a, a green light or a red light on your way to work or, or, or it might not seem like that big of a deal that, that, um, that, that your boss recognizes you or, or, or that, that that coworker is a little bit easier to work with today or, or, or that, that you got that, that extra bonus or, or whatever it may be. Like it, it might not seem like that big of a deal in the scope of the, the universe, but God cares about every little thing. He cares about the fact that your kids slept through the night and like that means so much to you. He cares about those things. Be willing to share. It's not a posture of God, I need this. No, God, there's a relationship here uh, from a posture of surrender and worship to a posture of petition. The third one, is a posture of forgiveness. In verse 12, Jesus said, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You know, one of the best ways to understand concepts in scripture is to let scripture interpret itself. And in in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus goes through this whole chapter and and one of the big focuses of that chapter is he's talking about the importance of of forgiveness. And he, uh, opening part of the chapter, talks about when someone has wronged you that you go to them and you talk to them not to everyone else, you go to them and talk to them. And then he gives this parable. And in this parable, he talks about this servant who owed a a significant, uh, owed a debt, significant debt to the king. The king calls him in, he's gonna imprison him, he's gonna basically punish him for for this unpaid debt. And the man begs the king, please, king, forgive me, please, king, forgive me. And, And the king finally says, okay, I'll forgive your debt. And it was an amazing moment. The man walks out of the, that, that chamber with the king and he's, he's elated, This for, debt was forgiven. And then he goes to another fellow servant who owed him a much smaller debt. And he, he berates the man and he has the man, threatens to have the man thrown in jail if he doesn't pay this smaller debt. And the king finds out that... <clears throat> Uh, the servant he had just forgiven the debt for has done this to another servant and he calls him in and he throws him in jail. And, and, and the whole concept of, of the parable Jesus is saying is we have been forgiven much and we should be able to extend that forgiveness to others. A posture of forgiveness is important. You see throughout the New Testament the importance of uh, before you come to God, be willing to make sure you're right with others. As best as it depends on you, live at peace as Paul writes. Forgiveness, it's a posture of forgiveness. That it's not just about you and God, it's also about you and others. How can you come with a posture of forgiveness? That God, I'm walking in, 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 pul- uh, in purity and holiness. I'm, I'm walking in, a, in an attitude of forgiveness, that posture of forgiveness. And the last one is a posture of power. In Matthew 6, 13, he said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. Prayer can become, if we're not careful, this very passive experience where we just sit there and we come with that posture of surrender, which is so important. That posture of, uh, of, of being willing to uh, share our petitions and our needs, what's on our heart and what we're walking through. A posture of forgiveness where we forgive others. But Jesus here, he said, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There is a power and a force in this world that is aimed at getting you off track. Satan would want nothing more. As Jesus said in John 10, to steal and to kill and to destroy every good thing in your life. And that's scary and frightening can bring so much stress into your heart and mind. But what Jesus is talking about is that we can have a posture of power. That greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. That the same power, as Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. And and that we can be empowered. It's not just about a passive, God, uh, I wanna surrender to you. God, I I have these needs I wanna share with you. We cultivate that relationship, but God ultimately is looking to empower us. It's a posture of power that, that not we're cocky or we're arrogant but that we recognize we're empowered to do more than we can do on our own. That the Holy Spirit of God has come to empower us to do far more than we can do on our own. And, 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 and when we live in a world that is unmatched, un, un, uh, 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 instable, is complex, is overwhelming, and, and, and everything seems to be crashing in, We don't need more answers. We don't need more uh, things that we have to do. We don't need more things to be right in our world. We need to have the right heart, the right posture. We need as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as a church to recognize it's not about fixing all that stuff. It's about fixing me. And if I can fix me, I might not be able to change the entire world, but I can change my world. When I center myself around God, when I recognize the the incredible simplicity of the sacred, of these sacred practices of prayer, that for 2,000 years, through revolutions and wars, through disease, disease like we've never known, where where millions are dying in days, like through all of these horrors over the span of two millennium, 2,000 years, the church has remained consistent not because there's some guy at the top telling them what to do, but because they recognize the centering power of prayer. And today, we're going to take time to worship in a minute. But before we do that, one of the spiritual disciplines Richard Foster talks about, one of the spiritual disciplines that, that Christians for centuries have been practicing, that I want to practice just this morning before we go into a time of worship, is the practice of silence. Silence. We have so much noise in our world. You have notifications on your watch and your phone, your TV, your computer, like there's so much noise in our world. Can we take a few moments here, and it's gonna be awkward because we're not used to it, but to center ourselves on God, to pause and reflect on him. One of the disciplines is solitude. We, we can't completely accomplish solitude in a room like this, but if you can close your eyes and, and, and take a solemn, silent moment, If you have a phone or device, if you're watching a line, don't turn the device off because you're watching on it, but uh, everyone else, put your devices down, turn them off, whatever you gotta do. Let's just take a few moments here. I'm not gonna make it 10 minutes, don't worry. It's not even gonna be five minutes. You might freak out. But let's just take a minute to be silent in in, in prayer, in in reflection. And then we're gonna close that, that time of silence and prayer and we're gonna go into a time of worship. If you could just close your eyes, Let's just take these moments, Lord. We thank you for your presence. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. God, we thank you that we don't have to earn it. We don't have to conjure anything up. God, it's not the result of us proving ourselves to you. God, you willingly and freely give us your presence. God, I thank you for these special moments together as a church family of silence, of reflecting on who you are and what you are. You are good. God, we come with a posture of surrender that you are good God, that your view on this world is greater than my view and our view. God, we come before you recognizing that we are so desperately in need of you. God, that there are things in our lives that we aren't capable of fixing, correcting, or overcoming without you. God, we come before you, God, with a a posture of forgiveness. Jesus, as you have forgiven us so freely, let us forgive others. God, let us not hold grudges. God, let us not be those, God, who hold things against others. God, let us be those who walk in grace and mercy. God, let us come with a posture of power. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we need your power. We need your power. The church in America, Lord, our church here in Irwin, we don't need better programs, although those are good. God, we don't need better people or stuff or, or, or buildings. or Those are all good things. God, we desperately need your power. God, I pray this morning, even as, even as we take time to worship and to seek you, Jesus, we need your power. God, let us not simply pour ourselves out, but Holy Spirit pour into us in an overflowing way where we have the power and the revelation of the Holy Spirit to lead, to live, to change this world. Thank you, Father, that you are with us. Thank you that you are in this place even now. Thank you, Jesus. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.